Well, let me pray for us, and let's get into the Word. Father God, thank you for this morning. And Lord, we walk into some tough territory today. Uh, We hear some challenging words uh, where we're going today. And I pray uh, that we would have the courage uh, to hear them and not, not apply them to others, but hear them for ourselves, that we might be people who love you, who walk with you, who serve you, uh, who grow, Lord, um, by being those who do uh, what you instruct us to do, not just hear it, but those who put it into practice. And we pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let me be honest with you for a minute. I have uh, three categories. We're talking about we're talking about our new series today, which is called True Justice. And I have I have three categories when it comes to how upset I get when it comes to injustice. Uh, here's my first category. My first category is if an injustice uh, happens to me or a member of my immediate family. If, if someone in my family or I suffer uh, an injustice, I am extraordinarily upset, no matter how small that injustice is. And I have proven this uh, by yelling at umpires and uh, cursing referees. I have plotted vengeance on employees of permit-controlling municipalities, and I've considered violence toward other drivers. That's category number one, something I feel like injustice happened to me. Category number two, uh, I get a little bit upset about injustice suffered by others. Uh, Amy's uh, husband, Malcolm, preached here over the summer and told a story about getting harassed by the police uh, for walking around getting ice cream with his wife he being a black man, she being a white woman. They could not believe that they could have ice cream together. I don't know why. It's 2021. Uh, and he told me this story, and I was like, that's ridiculous. And I got a little upset. I didn't do anything. I didn't threaten anyone, but I got a little upset. Category number three is when I realize that I've been the source of injustice. When I have treated someone unfairly or participated in the oppression of others. When uh, my team gets a call that goes its way and I know it's wrong, I may have a small twinge of consciousness, but mostly I'm not bothered at all. Those are my three categories. Why am I like that? Because I'm a sinner. These categories are not in Jesus' order. The order uh, how Jesus responds to injustice is really different. See, when he suffered injustice personally, he forgave those who committed it and continued to sacrifice himself on their behalf. When he saw uh, justice on the oppressed and the broken, he was stirred to anger and action, and he fought hard for them. Think about him clearing the temple when the poor, the broken, and the lame had been uh, uh, shystered out of, of using the temple and getting right with God. He never caused injustice himself, but instead he compensated for the injustice of others. He was a justice bringer. We who are Christ followers are called to justice because God is a God of justice. When we choose justice, we align ourselves with God and we are blessed beyond compare. We follow Jesus best when we participate in his work. See, here's what happens to us, right? And we can get stuck in this mode in church where we just study something and study something and study something. We go, man, we're going to keep learning and learning and learning about this. And maybe someday, after we've completely mastered it, we'll try to do a little something with it. 
That's not the way that Jesus discipled his people, right? He, not, he would teach something, and then they would obey it. And then from that obedience, they'd come back and learn about what it meant to follow Jesus. The obedience and the understanding went together. They went back and forth. People who obey the Word of God understand it better. And people who understand the Word of God should motivate them toward obedience. Those things should always work together. So today we begin a series called True Justice. And my hope for us is that it will cause us to not just think deeply, but to actually live differently when it comes to justice. So we're going to dive in to some of the calls for justice in Scripture, and I want us to invite them to change us, to move us, to take actual steps of faith, because I believe that there's hope on the other side. I believe there's a way of life in Christ, a resurrected life, a remade life, and that's the life I want to live. I want us to start in a very uncomfortable place, uh, Isaiah chapter 58, uh, written by the prophet Isaiah to God's people in Israel uh, 600 years before the coming of Jesus, and uh, their situation will become clear as we're reading it, but it's not just about them. It is about us you will see our situation represented here. Let's begin Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. He says, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. How does God describe the worship of his people? He says it's shallow. It's surfacy. It's for appearances only. It's meant to oppress others. But there's no real change. One summer when I was in college, I worked in uh, Yellowstone, and uh, we would often go exploring on the rivers off the beaten path, and we'd regularly find ourselves where it looked like no one had been for years. I remember walking down this river, and there's no lifeguards, there's no signage, and one time we were walking, it was a really hot day, and we came upon what seemed like a deep pool formed by a big rock in this river. It was beautiful, inviting, and it was a hot day, so we decided to jump off the rock. Uh, I was probably up about 10 feet that we were jumping in from, and I decided that I was going to jump in first because I was the sweatiest, and thank God it was me. You see, I, I never dive, I don't dive. I jump into things. I've swam my whole life, but I don't dive into stuff, right? Um, And thank God I didn't that day because just a few feet below the surface, where I thought it had went down 10 or 15 feet, there was a rock ledge. What looked like 10 or 15 feet of water was about three and a half. And I hit that thing hard with both feet. I'm not sure what total damage I did. I felt that all the way up. It hurt like above my head somehow. And if I had gone in head first, I would have been seriously injured 
or dead. Instead, I know what some of you are thinking. Yes, the river was injured by my impact. It's still recovering, right? Shallow. Shallow water can't absorb the jump. Shallow ponds dry up quickly in the heat. Shallow people are quickly exposed by trial. And shallow worship isn't worship at all. See, the people think they're being righteous. They're even holding it against God. They say, God, we did this for you. How come you didn't do what we wanted? It's one of those things, uh, it's very popular in our culture, and I hear people say it all the time. I probably said it myself. How come such bad things happen to good people? Like us, we mean. Man, I've only, I'm, only, I'm such a good person, and yet all these good things always happen to me. And all the bad people, they get all the good stuff. I can see it. Well, yeah, they, I can see it on their social media. They're great all the time. I'm a good person, and bad things happen to me all the time. And I don't get it. God's not there. He's not there. And you can almost hear God's response. You're a what kind of person? Oh, is that who you are? Oh, you're a good person. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, sorry, I missed that. I missed that because I was only looking at your behaviors and thoughts. And practices, I missed it that you had declared yourself a good person. I was just judging you based on how you actually lived. They say, God, we did all these good things. How come we didn't do what I wanted? And God says, because you're shallow. Because your worship isn't real worship. Because on the same day that you're fasting to supposedly honor God, you're exploiting your workers. On the same day you're putting on a show for everybody to see how holy you are, there's violence. It says you're shallow. One thing's on the surface, another thing's underneath. And look, it is much easier to fake a godly appearance than it is to treat people fairly over the long haul. True justice, true worship, true fasting, it goes deep. And it's powerful. You know how it feels when you're treated fairly? It's great, right? It's great. I, I remember the first time I went to a new mechanic, I, I asked this in our first service. I said, how many of you have a trusted mechanic? And maybe 10% uh, of the room put their hands up. And I said, how many of you found that mechanic on the first try? And nobody put their hands up. And we've had some of that same experience where I would get nervous bringing my car in and, and I was always that you'd bring your car and they go, oh, yeah, you're going to need a new thermocouple. You're going to need two new engines. Uh, your fuel injector is actually attached to a different car. I don't know how that happened. You know, and sometimes they'd fix the car and before I even, they even told me how much it was going to be, oh, we went ahead and fixed it. I'm like, how much is it? $8,700. I said, that car's worth 10 bucks. What are you doing, $8,700? I said, always call me first. And so I was nervous. We had to get a car fixed. And I'm like, you know what? All right. I, I know a guy that I play basketball with. And I said, maybe, maybe I'll bring it to him. And maybe he'll treat us fairly because he knows me and he's afraid I'll you know, elbow him otherwise, right? And so I, uh, I bring the car in. I said, hey, call me before you fix it, okay? Because I, I, many cars I've, I've owned, they're not worth the next repair. They're one thing away, right? And I'm like, if it's more than $175, I'm just going to get rid of it, right? And, uh, and so... He call, I drop the car off. He calls me a couple days later. He goes, it's all fixed. I said, no, 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 it's not all fixed. No, you're supposed to call me. And uh, I said, okay, all right, uh, tell me the damage. How much was it? And he goes, $19. And I go, $2,019? Oh, my gosh, what would you have to do? He goes, no, no, $19. I said, 1000 No, no, $19. I was like, 
did you, what'd you do? Like, breathe on it? What, what? And he goes, yeah, I just needed one simple part. It just took me a minute, so I didn't really worry about it. 19 bucks. So what happens then? We start to build a little trust, right? And that isn't the only time that happened there. A few times he came and said, oh, you didn't really need anything. Yeah, yeah, it was no big deal. Don't worry about it. So that when I did need something more significant, what happened? Trust, right? He built some trust. Now look, someone who is faithful in a small thing, they're not always faithful in a big thing, but usually they are. It's usually a really good indicator. If you're faithful in small things, if you're honest about the small repairs, you're honest about the big repairs. If you lie about little things, you'll probably lie about big things. If you treat people like junk, because you can, when you can get away with it, you'll probably treat people like junk when you can even more get away with it, right? When no one's going to know, when people are going to see. God says that justice, true worship, flows together. And we build and train for faithfulness in big things by being faithful in what we think of as small things. When we treat people justly, it creates an atmosphere of trust. God's definition of justice is different than what we've been receive, he'd been receiving from his people. Look at the contrast he plays out in verse 5. He says, they're not living like the faithful mechanic. Here's what he says. He says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? He says, your fasting, your worship is all about appearances. It's all about bowing your head and dressing in sackcloth so that everyone sees how holy you are. But look at the contrast in verse 6. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? This is the Lord's fasting. It's justice. He says, how do you know you're worshiping God? Look, you can read it for yourself. He goes, you know how you can tell? It's if you're loosening the chains of injustice, if you're breaking the yokes of oppression, if you're looking out for the little guy. So it's all about watching out for those who are powerless. We often describe justice as looking out for our own rights, as fighting for what we think is ours, of what we deserve. I want justice. We're always talking about ourselves. God says true justice is not about looking out for you. It's about looking out for the disenfranchised, for the left out, for the ones under oppression. And notice here that this, isn't, uh, this injustice isn't something that's happening out there. I'm upset about injustice over there in Algeria. So it's about what's happening in your own backyard. He says, Israel, now look, Israel, he doesn't say, Israel, you know what's wrong, Israel? You need to go and be worried about the injustice of the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the pants too tights, right? He goes, that's the people you got to worry. He says, no, no, you need to worry about you. What about your house? What about how you treat people? Because look, we can always complain about how we were treated or things are happening out there, but real worship, real justice comes when we deal with our stuff about how God's own people treat people that they have power over. And look, that's going to get hard, isn't it? Because our normal reaction is to take this and apply it to someone who has power over us. 
I guarantee you that's the most common thing we do. We go, man, that's why this person isn't just, because they treated me like this, and they did this to us. And I've done that myself, right? And to say, oh, they're not real Christ followers. Look what they did. But that's not what's happening here. And you may wonder, hey, I've suffered injustice. How come we're not talking about that? Is there a message for Christ followers under oppression? Absolutely. A lot of scripture is addressed to those under oppression and how to bear up under oppression when you're the powerless. But that's not the message for today. Today's about us and the things that we have power over. And I I can hear the objections already. I don't have power over anything. I'm, I'm a nobody. But we do. Some are obvious. If you have employees, right? If you have kids, Think about the people that provide a service to you. I had a lady in our church who was a healthcare worker, and she said, man, people know that I have to put up with them, and so they'll treat me like garbage. They have power over me in that moment because my job is on the line, because I have to be there. It, it's strange. We have a little advantage over someone who's taking our order at the drive through or dealing with, with us on the phone. Or, or having, to, having to sit with us or provide something for us where their job is on the line. Or, or maybe they just feel obligated to us. Maybe it's a relative who feels like they have to take care of you or look out for you or be with you, right? How many of us have power over people because they, they're married to someone and they have to come to our house or they're, they're, they're friends with our whatever it is and they, they have to play by our rules. They're in our place. And so we, have, we can oppress them. We can make them uncomfortable. We can put them at a disadvantage, right? It's about the systems that we set up. It's about how we use our political power, right? Do we use it to look out for ourselves? Or do we look out for those who are oppressed and broken and have less? And I I know this gets hard and uncomfortable. We don't like to consider our own advantages. When I think about that, I go, well, my advantages are things I've earned. That's not true, right? I don't like to think about how I might be disadvantaging others. Right after college, I managed a pizza place. And a part of my job uh, was to make the schedule for about 30 people. Anyone out there ever been a schedule maker? It's a terrible job. It's awful. But it also has a strange amount of power. You can become a megalomaniac pizza manager schedule guy. I know because I've been there, right? At our place, there were good shifts and there were bad shifts. There were managers you wanted to work with and managers you didn't want to work with. There were shifts where you made more money and shifts where you didn't. There was who had to work on the days when the big game was on and who didn't, right? And how were such things determined by me? Was I fair? Was it merit-based? Did I do it equally to everyone? Or did I play favorites? Did I give good things to my friends and bad things to people who weren't my friends? Any of you who've worked in corporate America or with anyone anywhere knows the answer to this question. Me, like everybody else, was good to my friends and not so good to those who weren't my friends. Politics, right? My schedules weren't fair. And you might say, okay, Gary, yeah, I get it. Yeah, maybe when you were a kid. But I think you'd hear some of the same stories from people here. I'm the boss here, right? We have elders who keep an eye on me, but I'm the boss here. And so I set the culture. I set how it is to work here, what it's like to deal with stuff. 
I remember uh, not that long ago, I was meeting with Nikki Slavnik, our wonderful children's and outreach uh, director. And I have Nikki's permission to tell this story, by the way. And Nikki and I have known each other a long time. Uh, we've been friends a long time, and thank God that we were. I've known her before in New Hope. I uh, officiated her wedding, known her husband for 25 years. And uh, one day, Nikki came in my office, and we were doing some staff stuff. And I asked Nikki a question that I thought was going to have a really easy answer. And um, it turned out Nikki was mad. Nikki was mad at, at me. It's something I did. And it was a good thing it was Nikki. Because um, if it was somebody I didn't like, and I've had this happen, somebody I didn't like pointing out how I was being unfair or how I was taking advantage, I would have dismissed it. I would have said, ah, that's a jerk. I don't count his opinion. I don't know. No, that lady just complains a lot. And I wouldn't have taken it seriously. But because it was Nikki, and because I had a lot of respect for her, we have a lot of love going a long way back, it was still hard. I'll tell you, I wish I would have said, so I took it seriously right then and I changed. That's not what happened. Because it was Nikki, I had to sit with it. I still defended myself. And look, I could have made a list of stuff and said, well, actually, Nikki, this, 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 and this, and we were doing this, this, and this, and you don't understand this, this, and this, and the pressures of my job, and you don't understand what it's like. Right? But was she right? The thing that she was upset about? that I was being unfair, I was treating people, I was playing favorites. Was she right? You don't know. You weren't there. But I do. She was absolutely right. And then what? Then what do I do? Right? I am a person who has carried out injustice. The Lord says, you want true justice? Starts in you. Starts with you confessing, repenting, turning from your sin. Am I a perfect boss now? No. Do I still play favorites sometimes? Yep. But it has to be something that I say, Lord, work on me in this. Let me not just acknowledge it, but change things. Treat people differently. Treat people the way I want to be treated when they have power over me. With the same kind of respect, with the same kind of fairness. Our God extends true justice to us. See, we're never the ones who've gotten a raw deal because we've been saved by Jesus. Every single one of us deserves uh, eternal condemnation and punishment. But those of us who are in Christ have been rescued not by our own actions, but by the grace of Jesus. We've received mercy beyond that. And he says, I've given you a gift, and now I want you to live with justice in mind. I've already given you everything you could possibly want. You don't have to fight for anything more. You can look out for others instead. And God says, not just the people who are under your direct influence, but even the people around you. Look at verse 7. He's talking again about true worship, true fasting, true justice. He says, it is, not, is it not, this kind of living, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? There's this famous part of Scripture where Cain asks God, am I my brother's keeper? And he means, no, I'm not. And God spends a lot of the rest of Scripture answering that question, yeah, you are. 
the hungrier your responsibility, the homeless, the stranger, the alien, the broken. We're to be a people who look out for each other generously, sacrificially. And look, I can hear the objection. I've done this long enough, right? Some people will they'll say, some people are going to take advantage of you. And you're going to, if you give people food or clothes or money, it isn't always helpful. Fair. Fair enough. We should be spirit-directed and wise. But our lean, our default, our norm should be generosity, should be justice, should be looking out for the little guy. I think it's a good mark for us that we say, I'd rather be taken advantage of by some uh, unscrupulous people than to turn away anyone in need. I got to tell you, it, it helps me to be around people who have chosen, uh, cho- have chosen to live this kind of a lifestyle. Because I can easily feel good about what I've done and say, well, I've done more than others. It's good for me to get around those who have pledged their life to this kind of living. That they see problems around them and make them their own and say, as a Christ follower, I'm called to this. I got to spend uh, some of this week uh, with uh, Luxon and Katie Duvernay from our church. And uh, we've known Luxon here a long time. He was an intern here back in the day. Uh, Luxon is from Haiti. He's from a part of Haiti uh, that's so uh, remote and, and broken and unreachable that Compassion International doesn't work there, that Feed My Starving Children doesn't work there. And so he saw suffering all around him. And as a guy who used to be an orphan himself, he saw orphans around and he said, who's taking care of these kids? Who's educating them? He told me a story one time that broke my heart. He said, some of these kids don't have names. I said, what do you mean they don't have names? He goes, they're orphans. They don't know their names. They're not real people in the eyes of the government. He goes, so some of our first job is to get them names so they can be real people and have access to services and education. He goes, there wasn't education by us, so they built a school. And I'll embarrass him. He was in first service today. Um, I'll embarrass him. For years, Luxon gave the majority of the money he made to supporting what went there. He lived on less so that they could have it over and over again and built up that organization so that it took care of kids in his area. I said, hey, what's going on right now, the pandemic? And he goes, we've lost some of the kids. They've, they've disconnected from our ministry. I said, what does that mean? I said, I know what that means here. Someone disconnects from New Hope. Maybe they're going to their church, great. Or maybe they're not going to church. And, we're, and he goes, uh, many of those kids that we lost connection with were sold into slavery. And he said, so we're, we, we don't have a place where they can live on our, pla- on our, our facility, so we're trying to build a, a children's home. And he said, they're in the middle of that construction. I said, how's that going? He goes, um, it's Haiti. Uh, it's a pandemic. Um, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, we can't get materials all the time. We deal with all, he goes, the government who never shows up to help us, boy, they show up when you try to do something they can make money off of. And he goes, and so we're fighting everything. And he goes, but we're getting there. Because we're hoping to have a home. He goes, every kid we get in there, we literally save a life. And I said, I said, all right, we need to be part of that. And so thank God for how our elders are here. I got off the phone with, I, I was at his house. I, I texted our elders, hey, this is what's going on. They said, all right, we're going to give that as new hope. And I was able to hand him a check this morning. That's a guy who's got his eye around him, right? I'm like, that's the guy I want to hang around with. So I go, not only do I just help that guy and feel good, I go, He's called to that, right? I'm not called to everything. I'm not called to every homeless person, every broken thing. But I'm certainly called to something. I'm called to some people around me. I'm called to be part of that and live generously and fight for justice and and be more upset 
that this kid doesn't have a name or a place to live or safety or whatever, then I am upset that I got a bad call in a basketball game. That should call out more in me if I'm a Christ follower. Right? And look, we've learned this lesson. I was talking to Luxon about this. I said, man, it's pretty amazing what you guys have done down there. And he goes, God just does it over and over again. He's a kid who grew up an orphan in Haiti. He said, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars passed through his hands. I was at Luxon's house. He lives in a Smurf house, okay? He's not, making, he's not getting wealthy off of Fair Garden. He lives in a Smurf house and works his butt off at Chick-fil-A, right? Why? Because the money passes through his hands to where it's going, and God keeps rolling it in because he can trust that guy. One of the, the goals of my life is to be so trusted by God that every time resources come to us, we use it for God's kingdom work and not for ourselves. Not everything's ours, but some things are ours. And something is yours. There's something God's called you to. And look, I know you're like, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to ask us for money. No, I'm not. You are banned from giving that money to New Hope if it's money. This is about getting your eyes on something that God's called you to, to be fighting for justice, being generous towards, owning someone else's stuff like it's your own. Here's the thing. I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I'm telling you this because there's a promise for people who live for real justice that you do not want to miss out on. And I don't want to miss out on. Listen to this. I, I almost like I'm making this up. This is Isaiah 58. God said this, right? Here's what he says. Verse 8. He says, you live like this. You live for true justice. You live with true fasting. You join me in my work. Here's what happens. Verse 8. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you'll cry for help, and he'll say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild their ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. You know, I read these promises and I think they're too great. These aren't for people, but they are. So no, 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 these are, this isn't for people. God says, you, you do my stuff. You join me in what I'm doing. You fight for justice. You look out for the oppressed. You think I'm not going to help you? You think I'm not going to heal you? You think I'm not going to provide for you? You think I'm not going to answer you and guide you? You think other people are going to be suffering and, and you're, they'll be like, wait, what's happening? I'm going to provide for you when, when everything else seems like it's going to junk. I'm going to heal you when you're broken because I need you to keep working. When you're my people, man, he goes, and look at that. I mean, I, I don't know about you. At the end of this, he says, you get a cool na- name in heaven. He says, look, you get a nickname. He goes, you know what you'll be called? Repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. He goes, you work for my justice? You're going to walk around heaven there and go, there comes the repairer of broken walls. Hello, hi, hello, right? This is the restorer. He says, those who are in Christ can join in his work. He says, God will be your, he says, he'll be your rear guard. God will look out for you, he'll provide for you, he'll guide you. He says, when you're his, 
you're his. You don't even know what that's like. I'll come back to Luxon again, man. I'm like, how is this guy even like making it through? It's because God's provided and guided and protected and brought him through stuff like you wouldn't believe because he's serving him. That's how God treats those who are on his side. That's the kind of blessing that there is when we join in his work. So here's the question for us, right? Are you a shallow pool or are you deep water? Take a look. How are you handling your positions of power? Are there needs around you that God has called you to? I want us to be a church full of people who pursue true justice. Who look out for the little guy. Who know what it's like to be a people who serve God and are provided for by him. Who are aware of our own stuff. If, if I can make one application for you this week, is to not point this out there somewhere, but to take some time between you and the Lord and say, Lord, in what ways? What am I doing with the power that I have? Am I carrying out injustice? And if so, to make that right. To confess, to repent, to turn from it. That we may be a people who join in God's work and work for justice. Let that be true of us, we hope. Let me pray that for us. Father God, thank you that you call us to join you in your work, but that it starts with applying this hard truth to us Lord, would you show us the ways that we oppress others, the ways that we use power that do not glorify you? Father, give us the courage, the confidence in the grace of Jesus that we don't have to hang on to our own pride or our defense of our own character, but that we are able to lay those things down and say, Lord, change me, grow me, that I may be a justice bringer like Jesus is. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Take it seriously. Let God work on you this week. Have a fantastic Sunday.